Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Joining me in studio, it's a cozy group. Sorry if you're getting any static. Um, it may be with us a while, but we can do it. Uh, in the studio with me is Susan Matheson and Steve Rand, who are co-founders of The Common Man for Ukraine. And also joining us, I, um, Susan and uh, Steve presented to the uh, Waterbury Rotary this morning, and I listened to their presentation. So I asked Gwena Peters, who is past president of Rotary, to just to introduce the Rotary. And you'll learn during this program how important Rotary is to what the common man folks are doing in the Ukraine. So, uh, Gwena, can you take it away for a surprise uh, presentation. She wasn't expecting this. Thank you, Pat. <laughs> I appreciate the chance to tell a little bit about Rotary because I met Steve and Pat at our district conference. And our Rotary district covers a large area. So we have Canada, Vermont, um, New Hampshire, Connecticut, and some of Massachusetts in our district. And Steve and Susan were at district conference and did this presentation and just touched my heart with all the things they're doing for the Ukraine and Rotary is an international organization, helps get us all connected. So after Russia had invaded the Ukraine, um, these guys connected with Rotarians in Poland and went over there to work. And they're going to tell you a really amazing story. So I'll turn it over to them. Great. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate the impromptu um Discussion. That's great. And it was a wonderful presentation. And um, I'll just say that this is an all-volunteer network providing humanitarian aid to orphans, particularly and children, in uh, in the Ukraine. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to uh, to Sue and Steve to talk about this morning's presentation. And you had some great questions. And and how important is Rotary to what you do? It's absolutely, excuse me, it's absolutely essential. Our, um, you know, when we, when we started, uh, when we started out noticing that, uh, Ukraine was being invaded, uh, we didn't really know what to do. Our, our group, our small group of people who are now considered to be our founders consisted of Susan and myself and Alex Ray and his partner, uh, Lisa. <clears throat> We were just sitting at coffee talking about it, and uh, we said, uh, you know, what can we do? And so um, Alex and I are both Rotarians. So uh, before too long, uh, we decided, well, can we use our Rotary network to make this happen? And the answer is and has been yes, we have. So Rotary is very important to this effort uh, because it allows us to connect with established organizations and people in Poland and Ukraine. And uh, so we have had really wonderful connections there. The Poles are amazing. They, The Polish Rotarians are uh, have just leaped into the into the whole um, relief business. They've at first they were, they were thousands and thousands uh, over. Let's see, three six six million people wow. who uh, left the country of Ukraine it came into Poland, and the Poles had to deal with that, right. which is of course a huge thing. And the rot- rot- Rotary was that right there. 
working on it right from the very beginning. <clears throat> so they had some experience. We it took us a month or so to get to get into action, and we knew about what Rotary could do. We knew how, we knew what the hierarchy was, what the international values of it are, and uh, and Rotary's in 220 different countries, including Poland and Ukraine. And we thought, oh well, we're Rotarians. Why don't we use the network? That's we great. Have? Well, and why not? And the stories about what these volunteer Rotarians are doing are amazing. What um, you had a surprise this morning at the at the breakfast, and um, also wanted to talk about that surprise, but also talk about what you were hoping the message was that that you left with uh, the Waterbury Rotarian Sue. This entire experience has been amazing for me, as just in a personal level, and what it has shown me is the staggering good of humanity that Americans have reached out to us to support Ukrainians. We focus on children, particularly children living in safe houses and kids who have lost at least one parent. That's where we're sending our efforts. And so many Americans have helped us in various ways, $5 donations up to six-figure donations. That love, the volunteers in Poland who are extending their personal time to deliver food into Pol- into Ukraine is staggering. That's great. And so you got a little surprise from Rotary this morning, which yes, I thought did. was fabulous. Yes, we did. The Rotary Club of Waterbury, Vermont, graciously donated $3,000 to our cause, which in our world, about $44 will feed a child in Ukraine for a month. Wow. And we also provide residential trauma counseling, and that will uh, fund three children for three weeks. Oh, that's great. And $3,000 funds a whole lot of kids. That's great. Yes, it does. Good for them. It was a wonderful presentation. And um, there was a woman who stood up. She is Ukrainian and has, I think her grandparents live in, um, what is the, Town. Nova Scotia, I think. No, but her grandparents came from the Ukraine. They, in yes, the, they in came the from Kiev. Yes. Oh, Kiev. Okay. Um, that's all funny. We're all calling it Kiev now, and I was grew up with Kiev. <laughs> yes. But you have to respect how the Ukrainians say their their country's name for sure. So um, you told some amazing stories about how you were able to get into Ukraine in the first place, and in my mind. We, I don't think not any of us, knock on wood, have, have experienced war. So you kind of envision everywhere you go that it's a, it's dangerous. And you've probably you said today you've been in some situations that caused a little pause. Sure. I mean, how do you know where not to go? How 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 do they get you in and out? I'm very <coughs> curious how that works. So and, and bless you for volunteering to do that, by the way. Thank you. Yes, I've never had any experience like this in yeah. my life, but the Ukrainians are living it with it every day. And if we're going to help, we're going to have to put ourselves in those situations. Because of our connection with Rotary and because we've been doing this now since the beginning of the war, we have a well-established relationship with the military. They know about us. They know what we're doing and where we're going to be. And so our itineraries are reviewed by them. Uh. And, in fact, uh, one of our trips occurred during the one-year anniversary on February 24th of 2023. And we had intended to go up into the Kiev area in, during that convoy. 
of food deliveries, and the military advised us that we should relocate to the Carpathians. So we have a lot of safe houses down in the Carpathian Mountains in the southwestern parts of Ukraine, and so we're able to go there. So those military connections are important for our safety, but it's also one of the reasons we can be so efficient because they do facilitate us crossing the border. If you're a big aid organization or a commercial truck, it takes five days to get across the border into Ukraine Mm -hmm. or from Ukraine into Poland because both countries are very vigilant about who and what is crossing their borders. So if we had to wait five days, if our food deliveries to children had to wait five days, both our volunteers would have to wait five days, our volunteer Long time when you're hungry. That's right. And five days on the return. Thankfully, again, our connections with the military were able to drive right to the front of the line and get across the border within just a couple of hours. Oh, that's awesome. Well, they obviously know the great work that you're doing and respect what you're doing. So so our, our, our ability to connect with the military in Ukraine is a function of our connection to Ukrainian Rotarians. The Rotarians um, have connections throughout the country, just like Rotarians do here in the United States. So we can, we can connect with them and, and make that happen in a way that others could not, uh, based without having the recognition of being the actual, um, representatives of uh, a good that's good well it's certainly a good solid club here in in vermont i i uh when i worked for state government i used to be a member of rotary um singing i like the singing they didn't welcome me this morning with a song i have to talk to that (laughs) gang this morning i was figured i'd have to stand up and they do their welcome song but they didn't anyway What I found interesting is before you decided you needed to do something and you established the common main for Ukraine, uh, somebody said we should go there first just to see what we're dealing with. And could you talk about that trip? Um, sure. And then what, what you came away with, obviously something good because you, you um, created the common man for Ukraine. But please tell us about that first trip. Sure. Alex Ray is one of our four co-founders and – For those who know New Hampshire well, he is the founder of the Common Man family of restaurants. He's a very creative businessman and a great humanitarian and philanthropist. And when the bomb started to fall on February 24th, 2022, the four of us were visiting and lamenting the situation. And Alex was the first one to say, lots of people want to help but they don't know how. We need to show people how they can help. And the only way we'll find out how is if we go there. We need to go to Ukraine. And I'm just a regular (laughs) mom. I've never been in the military or in a war zone. And the thought that we would commit to going to Ukraine was preposterous. But it was also inspired because it was the way that we could actually see what needed to be done, how we could help, and who could help us deliver that aid. That's great. I I, I can't imagine what you saw and what impact it had on you. And obviously, you wanted to do something because you you established the common man for Ukraine. But what was your reaction when, when you were there, right in it? 
Of course, it was just so frightening. You saw the preparation for bombing. We saw all public art in Lviv sandbagged. We saw windows sandbagged and boarded up, everything ready. We saw evidence of recent bombing. And while we're there, we hear air raid sirens. What's been interesting is to experience the change in people's reaction to the air raid sirens. When we first arrived on our very first trip and we heard air raid, raid sirens and everyone running, of course, we skedaddled as well and found a safe place to be. And now we've been... In Ukraine, <laughs> and we hear air raid sirens, and the Ukrainians are much more calm. It's right. become so ubiquitous right. in their everyday life. And they also understand that some of the overflights, particularly in the Rivne region near Belarus, just south of Belarus, that some of it is just taunting behavior, that they're not actually bombers. Oh. They're just psychological warfare efforts to weaken the Ukrainians' will. It's just been interesting for us to follow that change and metamorphosis and how they've integrated war into their everyday lives. Amazing, isn't it, that a a siren becomes commonplace? I just hope they must respond, though. That would be bad if they didn't. It gets so used to it, you don't respond. But the pictures are just, I can't imagine living like that. These And you're talking about children. Um... And you have a health crisis center for the mental health crisis, people that help you there. I'm, how do you make that all right for the kids? I mean, it's – I don't know how you would approach what a kid has seen. Their families die, that their house is all gone, that mm-hmm. those toys, everything that they hold dear. These um, kids are very inspirational. Their commitment to their country, their sense of self as Ukrainian is so inspiring mm-hmm. But yes, you're right. These kids come to one of our residential trauma counseling centers uh, with quite a burden. Not only their lost parent or sibling or both, but also the prospect of their homes and communities and schools and other relatives. So what we do at our residential counseling centers is try to with the certified Ukrainian psychologist, a medical doctor, 24-7, and three teachers, we work with these 30 children in group and individual counseling sessions through art therapy, physical exercise, and traditional counseling. We know we can't fix it. We can't bring dad back. That this rocky road that these children will travel is a long one. And we just hope to give them a few tools to deal with the immediate futures. We want them to know that Americans care about Ukrainians, that they're loved and supported, and that their life and their future will be bright, even though right now it's the darkest of times. We hope they will form networks with other children who have also lost a parent, and we think that's very important. And we want them to live for three weeks without air raid sirens, without bombing, without fear in their eyes, a good night's sleep, perhaps for the first time in over a year and a half. These are the kids that are going to rebuild Ukraine someday, and we want them to know that they're loved and supported. 
Oh, and by the way, we do want them to become Rotarians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they just might after the example you all are setting. Um, you take them away. You were mentioning it. We have to take a break in a couple of minutes, but there are these summer camps that, that these kids go to in three weeks of away and maybe hopefully time to turn it all off. Because you, somebody, you said it, Susan, that, that they have an app on their phone that tells them where the daily bombings are and who was killed. And what if they saw mom or dad's names on the app? I mean, good grief. Exactly. So kids as in our residential camps, we have kids as young as eight years old. And with them looking at their apps to see where the bombing is that day and to see, oh, it's closer to my home. Oh, it's farther from my home. Oh, how many Ukrainian soldiers were killed today? Oh, Let's link to the list. It's unfathomable oh, to no. me that imagine. these kids should be out riding their bikes and playing with Legos, and right. instead they're walking around with this app on their phone. Just horrific what you think that this invasion has done for generations. The impacts, the psychological trauma these children will be carrying is amazing. Yeah, I, just, I really can't. And maybe they, they're young and resilient, one would hope, and with the right support – this is just not a temporary moment because I think you're right. It's going to last longer than any of us would hope. But there is hope. Yes. At, yeah. at the end of the at the end of the line, that's great. So when we started, of course, we we didn't we didn't know how long the this this uh, this war would last. We had no idea. We were we went to we went to Poland. Uh, the Poles didn't. They were dealing with the. The flood of people coming across, and the poles saw uh, they didn't know either. Nobody knew how long it was going to last. So now, uh, after we raised the first million dollars to match Alex's initial, initial gift, uh, we we had thought, okay, we'll be done. Uh, but no, we yeah. really, we, we came to the giant realization that we weren't anywhere near to being done. So we raised our goal to $10 million because it's, that's what we think is likely to be more on the order of what we'll need to be able to, to follow through on this, on this project as it, as it continues to unwind. Because we don't know exactly which way it's going to go. So we have to be light on our feet. Well, I, my notes indicate to me that you've so far raised 27 million. Is that an accurate number? No, that's 2.7 million. Actually. Oh, 2.7. 2. 2. That, when I said that, I went, good grief. 2.7 million. And mostly small dollar donations from any, anyone. $5, $10. We got three $5 bills in an envelope from a convent in New Hampshire and, that's great. Uh, and a six-figure anonymous donation. Not that 2.7 isn't a big number. That's a good one. Although I like 27 better, but anyway, maybe we <laughs> can get Here's a better way to think of it. It's not so much 2.7 million, but think of it this way. We've delivered over 800 tons of food to displaced children in Ukraine. About 10,000 sleeping bags, and as the war turned into winter last fall, we also, and Putin was bombing infrastructure, we also have delivered hundreds of generators to safe houses throughout Ukraine. That's amazing. And I also read that you have a blood mobile. 
Yes. Tell us a little bit about that, maybe, Peter, soon. Could you tell us about the, the sure. Bloodmobile? How fabulous. Sure. That was one of the first requests for funding that we got, and it was before we very uh, specifically narrowed our work down to children. So in our very first trip, we were asked to fund a Bloodmobile to serve because so many medical facilities had been bombed that while ambulances were serving as field hospitals, the blood supply was life-threatening near the front lines. And so, of course, it's only one, Bloodmobile, and uh, there's a need is great. But it was one demonstrative step we could take in the very beginning, and we did. That's great. Yeah, it was $200,000 for that Bloodmobile. And it took oh, six weeks to build it in uh, Germany. It was a it was a Mercedes. Oh, nice yeah. upscale bo- oh, uh, bloodmobile. The, the uh, fantastic uh, uh, spring system. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's important when you're riding around for Absolutely, hours. Absolutely, but right. what a great what a great thing to to have. I mean, when you're in the middle of a war torn area right. and you need blood, that's a welcome sight. I'm sure. That's great. That was, that was uh, something that we were able to do because we had a million dollars available to us from the very beginning because of Alex's yeah. contribution. So we, at first, we spent more than we took in um, and, and were able to start ourselves quickly um, because of that uh, initial donation, and then uh, the uh, matching contributions came in. Mm-hmm. We got to we got to the one to two times one million mark, and then we kept right on going after that. So <clears throat> it's a um, it's it's an ongoing process. Um, we're uh, we have uh, lots of uh, contributors who help us every month. Uh, we That's have great. lots of people who are. Uh, Occasional donors. Um, we have a nice newsletter that we send to folks who are willing to you know, receive our mail, and you can do all that at our at our website, which is Common Man for Ukraine, all written out at dot org. Right. right. Um, so um, that's something um, uh, we'd love to have you on our newsletter, uh, so we can um, help you. Stay abreast of what what the needs are and what we're doing. Spread the word. All, all of those things are really important right. to us. Uh, so we asked the Rotarians here to help us do that because uh, it's a network. We That's have great. to connect. With yes, you guys have a wonderful people. website, by the way. Thank um, you. If the words aren't going to move you, the pictures will. Thanks. Whoa. I mean, it's, all the pictures of the kids and what they're dealing with. Oof, mm. that tugs. One of the other projects we funded right off the beginning was a uh, trauma counseling center that's just a day facility in Poland, outside of Warsaw. Six million refugees fled to Poland. The preponderance of them, about four million, have returned to Ukraine, but there's about two million residing in Poland. And in Poland, uh, the adults are allowed to work, the adult refugees, so what we started was a counseling center outside of Warsaw, Thank which you. is our only project in Poland right now. Everything else is in Ukraine. But this is a facility where kids can come during the day for trauma counseling, yoga therapy, right. art, and moms can work and get 
financially stable in Poland. You're allowed to work as a Ukrainian mm-hmm. refugee in Poland. And in the evenings, the center also serves families by providing free legal assistance to the moms and Perfect. grandmothers of the Ukrainian refugees. That's great. Thank you. And it's it's called the Counseling Center, yes. which is what I was struggling with, sadly. But um, how do they get there? Do your volunteers bring them to Poland so they know about it? Because These I'm are sure refugees that are in, oh, Poland. in Poland. They've been oh. there now for over a year. Okay. And as far as daily transportation, we've raised the money for a small minibus. So we pick right. up the kids and bring them to Counseling Center. And, th- and thank God for the Army there that helps you get through because mm-hmm. – even even though you've been fortunate so far, Absolutely. it is a war. Absolutely. And they do on occasion. I remember there was a school that they bombed one time in Red Cross centers. I mean, it's not like every there are safe places. Oh, yes. We They'll see bomb, bomb schools often. Yes. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. How do you keep this? I think you call them safe homes. How do you keep them a secret? Because... Um, that would be a target for sure, right? Of course. The Russians have been kidnapping the children from eastern Ukraine. This is well documented. And they're taking them into Russia never to be heard of again. Oh, my God. And so, unfortunately, as in World War II, parents are putting their children on trains in eastern Ukraine and sending them to western Ukraine in hopes that they'll find safe haven And indeed, there is a system of safe houses in western Ukraine. Their location, their census, those are all military secrets. But because of our close relationship with the military, we're able to find the locations of these facilities so that we can deliver food. We try to deliver food on about a 40-day rotation. And so our Rotarian volunteers in Poland load the goods from our two warehouses in Poland, and then drive to these secret locations to restock the safe houses once every 40 days. That's great. Now, as bombing is uh, increases in some parts of Ukraine, some safe houses may suddenly get a big influx, and we'll have to quickly Oof. contact our Polish Rotarians and say, we need another truck or another convoy to this area, and off they go. I can't say enough about the generosity of those Polish volunteers who are putting their lives on the line week after week after week. 20 tons of food a week go into Ukraine, and they're driving them there. Just think about that, leaving your family for four days to drive food into a safe house for kids you don't even know. It's an amazing But you're right about the the resilience. There are... Quite a few uh, displaced Ukrainians here in Vermont, mm-hmm. up in Derby. I don't know if you know of that effort up there. It's a it's a home, and it's run by um, by two individuals who have been to Ukraine, and that's what they do. The husband's a minister, and um, and they put on a fundraiser, and the Ukrainian children were part of it. Unbelievable. I mean, mm-hmm. just strong, resilient. Um, just wonderful to talk to, and they'll just share. Very proud of, of their yeah, heritage. Absolutely. Yeah, and rightly yeah. so, they should be. And they're, yeah. I mean, to be fighting this long against a superpower, they've got a lot of grit and determination. Yes. So, anyway, and you also were talking, I mean, obviously, fundraising is a big issue here. And while some people would like to give you things, uh, you say it takes too long that. 
funding yeah. is is cash. Unfortunately, we get emails every day of people who want to provide clothing, sleeping bags, baby blankets, and it just logistically it's impossible. To ship something across the ocean is very expensive. It takes six to eight weeks, and there's lots of opportunity for tariffs and taxation and theft. And for those reasons, what we have determined it's the best thing to do is to buy everything we can either in the Ukraine, in Poland, or in the EU if we have to. And the reason is we can be very nimble. We can then know that if suddenly a safe house has an influx of children and they need 200 more sleeping bags, we can get them right away. We can get them into our warehouse and then out to delivery within a couple of days. If we were shipping everything across the ocean, we couldn't be that nimble. Needs are changing. When it was summer during the first year of the war, we never dreamed we'd be looking for 10,000 sleeping bags. (laughs) And so then as fall approached, we were then shopping for 10,000 sleeping bags in Poland, and then finally found them in Germany. And even though you've got um, money, you obviously would like more money, are you able to find what you need to buy with that money? Because here, and you you are very gracious to recognize what Vermont has just recently gone through with the flooding. And in order to rebuild, even if you have money, you need carpenters, you need people to do the work and... We were struggling before this all happened to find people. Labor. So, yeah, you know, I mean, it's the labor part. Do you are you running into that at all? Ukrainians are very. It's a very very advanced civilization. They are able to do for themselves. Oh, great! Everything they need to do for themselves. What they don't have is uh, the resources to purchase things from um, from outside Ukraine right. or to bring in uh, the nails that they can no longer – sorry, it's hard where a guy is. It's a guy thing, that's they, right. The nails that they can't get from the former plant that got blown up in Zaporizhia, right. for instance. So they, they need foreign currency. This is what we can ha- help them with. They can – they're not part of – Ukraine is not part of the European Union. So there, uh, everything that goes between the European Union and, and, and Ukraine, it has to go through a whole customs and tariffs system, which makes it very difficult. Now, what we are able to do is to bring the stuff in uh, as convoys, and we are recognized as a human humanitarian Great. organization. So when we go in, um, they they step aside and salute and. <laughs> they do check our passports, yeah. but but it's a very abbreviated situation. And then, commonly, when we go, we go into a city around which there are a number of um, of orphanages and safe houses, and we're greeted by the mayor of the city, and wow. we're, greeted, we're greeted by the uh, Orthodox priest, and he comes out and he brings his his uh, his. Uh, Holy water. Yeah, yeah holy and water. Blesses and, our convoy. And he blesses our convoy. Of course, we don't understand what he's saying, but we can see what he's doing. the intent is there, right? Just keep you safe. And it's, uh, and, you know, they are, uh, very, very gracious and very thankful for what we're doing. That's great. Uh, which well, is great for our relationships, our American I relationships. I think our listeners are grateful for what you're doing, yeah. too, because 
Yeah, I don't think you can. I can't imagine what it's like. You see the pictures, but that's just one vehicle, mm-hmm. one medium. I mean, it just must be right. awful. Yeah. Um, so you're trying, hopefully, to um, get this initiative statewide. I mean, U.S. statewide. How are you getting the word out? Because you just somebody sent me the most wonderful media kit. Uh, and I don't know if it's on your website because that really lays out what's happening. Yes, we do have a very robust website. We're trying to reach out as far and wide as we can through social media. And spreading the word is so important for us because we know lots of people want to help. They don't know how, and we're hopefully giving them a very trusted, very lean operation. We're all volunteers. We pay for all our own transportation while we travel. We pay um, a media social media advisor, the only paid person on our team, and the rest of everything is volunteers, from every truck driver, every forklift driver, Steve and I, uh, everything is volunteer. So going to our website will give you a lot of information. If you can't help yourself but you know someone who might, just send them an email. Say you heard about Common Man for Ukraine and that they're doing good work for kids in Ukraine. I saw, an, I don't know if it was your phrase that, that was on the PowerPoint, but it said, the only thing stronger than fear is love. Was that from you or from the West or Waterbury Waterbury? Do you know? Was that yours? No, that was our slide. Oh, I it's love not it. an original quote, but that's certainly what moves us. Yep, I wrote it right down. I thought, well, there you go. And you're right. Yeah. Um, when you look at these kids in the eye and they see what they're going through, uh, it's so inspiring. People thank us. After a presentation, they'll thank us. And it's really not us. It's... 3,000 donors who have trusted us with a donation. That's who needs to be thanked. They're the people that are actually making a difference for these kids. We're just the faces that you see on the slide or on the newspaper, but it's really the people behind. It's the love behind our work that's so important. I, um, Susan is wearing this most amazing uh, blouse uh, that was made – at a marketplace in the Ukraine, um, it's all um, yes, needlepoint. It's embroidered. Needle yes, it's embroidered. Yes, it's cross stitch. Right. It's a very traditional blouse. Both men and women wear this, and even in the most dire circumstances, you will see kids and adults wearing their traditional dress to any occasion of any kind: a birthday party, a fancy dinner, a a guest is coming. All the children and adults wear their very traditional uh, territorial embroidery. It's beautiful. I was staring at it looking. I know I'd be making mistakes, but there is not one stitch out of place on that blouse. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's really how nice that they can still do the traditional things. It must give them a lot of hope and they don't lose their identity. I would their think in a war. Their identity of Ukrainians, yeah. as Ukrainians is so strong from the smallest child to the oldest person we've met. They are Ukrainians through and through. They know on a cellular level they will win this war. It's never if we win this war. It's always when. Yeah. That's great. 
Well, good for them. And, and I was telling you about this fundraiser up in, um, by Durban, up, it was actually in Greensboro, um, at the facility up there. And, um, they had, they put on a, a Ukrainian, traditional Ukrainian dinner with borscht. And I heard it was fabulous. So mm-hmm. I sort of stayed away from it. Everybody who listens to me knows I'm totally allergic to garlic. And when I looked up what food is in Ukraine, one of their specialties, believe it or not, is garlic donuts. So I decided maybe that's not the food for me. Maybe we ate it and we didn't know it. I can't sure. imagine. Yeah. I'm like, who thinks of stuff like that? Did you know how to say it in Ukrainian? No, I do no. not. No, well, you're going to have to look it up and let us know because so we'll know we're reading. Oh, the you, oh I'll donuts. have to let you know. Pat, that's a good point, though. It's we're for Americans speaking English. We're interacting with a small army of Polish volunteers who are then connecting with Ukrainian Rotarians. And so every communication, every Zoom call, every uh, convoy is this hysterical, sometimes funny, sometimes tragic uh, series of whisper down the lane of from oh, English to Polish to Ukrainian, <laughs> Ukrainian to Polish, back to English. Some of the translations have um, put us into funny situations <laughs> and cool. some scary. So if you'd like to donate, um, Sue said that it's very difficult to ma- to send things, stuff. So donations are the way to go. Can be small, medium, or large. They don't care. I'm thinking. Oh, Could and you- by the way, you know, uh, we always encourage organizations and even individuals to do their own fundraiser. There so, you go. See, if you have a creative urge to do. To, to knit something, for instance, right. you could go ahead and knit it and then auction it off and and give us give the them, proceeds. There you go. So We've had people go. host pickleball tournaments, tennis tournaments. We had a wonderful boy named Robbie, a fifth grader in Boston, who sold Ukrainian construction paper flags at his school and raised $48. Oh, you had that. Where did you have that story? Was it on on your website? Yes, it is. So it hit the TV stations in Boston and inspired other people to give Robbie's quite a hero to us. And uh, he's going to be a leader someday in this world. That's great. That was a wonderful story. I read that uh, yesterday. It doesn't take much, does it? And um, there's all, a lot all those of, stories are on our website. Yeah. We have a whole, uh, whole long list of all of our media, uh, our media, uh, our top ten. <laughs> when we first hits. went to Poland, one of the Rotarians said to us that, <clears throat> excuse me, that the war has shown him the best and the worst yeah. of humanity, and that's been our experience from day one. We never planned in our retirement any of the four of us to be doing this i couldn't have found ukraine on the map two years (laughs) ago Um, but it has taught me so much about the good of humanity and how people doing a little bit together can do so much that's great and it it just takes i know i always listen to tunnels for towers and what do they ask they ask for just very little each month, but mm-hmm. you get a thousand people to do a little each month, and you got some yep. serious bucks that you're dealing with. That's right. That's great. Because we up. use all volunteers and we donate all our time and expenses, we can feed a child in Ukraine for forty-four dollars a month, and we can provide three weeks of trauma counseling, residential trauma counseling for a kid for a thousand dollars. So that kind of puts a quantification. A, a 
generator costs about four hundred dollars. Um, a solar lantern is about twenty dollars. We provide solar lanterns to the children who are in safe houses without electricity. It gives them a little control over the darkness, and we hope a little joy. That's great. It's wonderful. Uh, in your media kit, um, you've got a list of all of your accomplishments. And I don't know if anybody has them memorized, but we've we've touched on a whole lot this morning. But are there other things that you would like us to know that you've done and that every dollar, that every 50 cents that people donate mm-hmm. goes to what you do, not to you specifically, but to what you do and support? That's right. We're all volunteer. Yes, again, and we've done so far, we've de- delivered 800 tons of That's food, 10,000 sleeping bags, many hundreds of generators. We've purchased a blood mobile. We've bought some small uh, temporary housing facilities in Ukraine. We've purchased the blood mobile. We have a discretionary fund that's overseen by the president of the Rotary Clubs in Poland to serve uh, the immediate needs of kids that are in Ukraine. So say a kid has a dental emergency that we're taking care of, we can immediately provide the funds for that. Or if a family needs transportation, they found a place to live outside of Ukraine that is safe for them, but they need transportation, we're able to provide that right away through this discretionary fund. That's right. great. So we, we trust our partners because they are Rotarians like us, and uh, we know that their ethic and their moral their morals are like ours, and we do not need to um, like uh, drill down uh, to every detail. We we trust them to make That's good great. decisions quickly, which is important, and uh, and meet the need. So that's why we do the discretion. That's great. And you've got uh, Governor John Lynch from mm-hmm. New Hampshire, former governor. Yep. He's on your board, yes. um, which is great. Plus, uh, uh, it said media personalities. So I don't know who that is, but I guess people that New Hampshire people know. Yes. Um, so it's a great, solid board for sure. It is. We've been um, very lucky yeah. to have the help of people um the Granite United Way organization donated their services for the first 10 months of our operation. Great. So um, that helped keep our administrative costs to zero, and that's what we're maintaining now. That's really that's really great. So we have two minutes left. Would either of you like to make a, a wrap-up statement? To- sure. I'll, I'll say that in my life, This has been one of the most important things I've been able to do. And if I have a chance to reflect about my life before I die, I'll look back at this moment in time where I was able to be part of an organization that brought together thousands of good-meaning people who wanted to do good in their lives and was able to help deliver that good to innocent kids in Ukraine who deserve to be happy. They deserve to have the same dreams they had before this war. They deserve to have them again. And working together, $5 at a time, we can help them get there. Peter, do you have anything to add to that? I said Peter. That's great. Uh, As usual, it's hard to top my... My partner Susan, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she, uh, she she capsulized our uh, our effort and our 
and our our moral compass and she has uh, only set me up to to drivel along That's after, great. after her um, uh, so but one thing that is very important is our rotarian uh, support right. and our rotarian connection uh, I would uh, encourage your listeners to pay attention to their local Rotary Club because it's a worldwide organization, 200 countries, uh, 1.3 million Rotarians. It's not just for guys. It's not just, it's not just <laughs> right. for, not just, not just for business people. Right. It's actually for actual human beings. And we do things that actual human beings are, uh, are, uh, inspired to do. Good. Thank you both very much for coming on the show this morning. I'm sure our listeners were listening to every word. I thank you very much, Susan Matheson and Steve Rand from the Common Man for Ukraine organization. God bless you, you, and thank you for what you're doing. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hi there, it's Pat McDonald back with you with Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. And this morning we have representatives from the Barry Area Development Corporation, correct, Emmy? Barry Area Development and also yes. the Barry Community Relief Fund. Uh, yes, and we are Both going to talk about the relief fund this morning. Um, and, Emma, could you introduce our other, the other two guests you brought with you this morning? Absolutely. Not that we don't know them. Yeah, well, thanks, Pat, for having us. No um, problem. Emma Green with Barry Area Development, and with me is Shannon Alexander. It's nice to be back. Hi. Um, and then also with us is Jonathan Williams, who's a board member of the Barry Community Relief Fund. Um, and we're here today to talk about that. That's great. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I did a show for you guys. Uh, we had a very, my bad, I must say, a bad communication on my part. And, um, I had the notes, thank goodness, for what we were going to talk about. I, I don't know if you listened to it, but I hope I did okay. I, it's, it's on, it's on yes. uh, their website, so, yes. uh, it's better you it was listen great. after. <laughs> oh, you did listen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was cool. Fantastic. All right. Cool. Well, I love Barry. Everybody knows that. I love it. Um, anyway, so we are here to talk about the Barry Community Relief Fund. Um, and maybe let's start off, Emma, with um, – oh, and welcome. I have not met you before. No, it's very nice to meet you. Thank you, Thank you, you for too. having me Thank today. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. So let's talk about Barry and the impact on the flood on businesses and residents. So I, I was uh, – one day I lasted shoveling that mud out of somebody's basement, and I realized how old I was, so I – Decided to do the radio show and let people know about things <laughs> instead. Oh my God, it was like cement. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it's it's pretty profound the devastation in Barry, um, along with many other places as well. Um, you know, it, we are we're uh, sorry to use the pun, but literally we're knee deep in it, um, and it's it's going to be a long road to recovery. Right. Um, and you know. In my role with Barry Area, you know, we used to say revitalizing Barry, and and now it's rebuilding Barry. It's it's thoroughly about the rebuild of Barry, um, and you know um, what all that's going to take. It, 
extremely costly. Uh, the damage is, you know, I think from insurance and stand, standpoints, those things are still rolling in for businesses. But, um, you know, we have businesses who've lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, 500 and up um, residents yeah. who've lost absolutely everything in their homes. Um, so, you know, I'm going to let Jonathan jump in, but, um, you know, talk about the Berry Community Relief Fund, really. But, you know, I think what's interesting is Jonathan and I actually had, I think, a light bulb moment. We don't, we didn't really even, we, I, we knew of each other. Um, sure. Um, we'd met a few times, hadn't had the opportunity to work together, but I had, had been involved with something like this during COVID um, in mm-hmm. my hometown, uh, starting a fund. And um, and so I thought, we, we have to do this in Barry. And and I spoke with, with my board chair at Barry Area and said, what do we need to do to stand up a new organization? And then literally, like within 24 hours, I'm getting an email from Jonathan. He's like, hey, it's Jonathan. How are you? By the way, I had this thought. And before you know it, it was it – was in, Here we in are. Works, you know, yeah. literally within a week of July okay. 10th. So take it away, uh, Jonathan. Can maybe you could put your sure. chair up a little. We're a little cozy <laughs> in the in the studio this morning. Sh- sure. Well, um, thank you, May and, and Shannon. And uh, yeah, it, there is a, a need uh, for this kind of fund in Barry, in the city and town. Um, the fund is uh, designed to uh, support businesses and individual families who were impacted by the July floods. Um, we are fundraising and also issuing grants now um, up to $5,000 for businesses and up to $1,500 for individual families uh, who were impacted financially by the flooding. Um, and so we are both uh, raising the money and distributing it as quickly as possible. Um, the fund, uh, my experience is uh, I work with the Vermont Food Bank um, and so oh, good for you. Well, it's a they're a great organization, oh, sure. and um, you know they also issue grants to food shelves. And so we um, uh, design the application to be as easy as possible for folks to apply. It's it's no more than two pages. Um, they can apply online. Uh, they can apply over the phone. They can apply by email or with a paper application. And um, the review. Uh, committee that looks at these requests um, comprises folks from all over the city and the town, who some of whom were themselves impacted by the floods, who had water in their basements or their businesses. Um, and so the, we're trying to go for a quick turnaround. You know, we're not requiring a lot of any reporting uh, from folks who have received funds, but we are encouraging them to share their stories through photos, through um, quotes and and all that kind of stuff. So, our hope is we're trying to raise a million dollars. Uh, is that right? Is the goal. Yeah. And um, I think we're a little more than a quarter of the way there. That's great. Um, and That's you know the need is still ongoing. I know folks have a lot of the news cycle has moved on from the floods <laughs> and is now focused on Hawaii and elsewhere, and right rightly so. But you know we're still shoveling out mud. I was at the labor hall this weekend in oh. Barry, just <clears throat> shoveling out. And the mud's very thick, I have oh, to say. No, I, I couldn't do it. I, I've, yeah. My my age finally finally dawned on me that maybe I am old. That was like moving cement. Yeah. And it's squishy. It's like it's like quicksand because you, you can't even walk on, on the mud because it sucks you in. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's overwhelming to say the least. Um, 
you mentioned a million dollars, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the fundraising too that right. the organization's doing. Um, last was it last week, Shannon? We, there was a kickoff uh, for the fundraising at Pearl Street Pizza right. um, that Shannon uh, organized and was a huge part of just putting on. And I, I, do you want to talk a little bit about that? <clears throat> sure. So I, I can't take any of the credit really for for Pearl Street Pizza, but I'm very involved in everything that goes on in that building. And they were they were pretty heavily affected by the flood, uh, not as bad as some, but uh, they've had a lot of support. And one of their goals was to create this beer garden fundraiser uh, and had all of these amazing craft brewers from throughout the state contribute Please. beer to this incredible event. And they wanted to give a portion of the proceeds to one of the funds. And I suggested... I suggested we partner up together, use this opportunity as a launch party for Barry Community Relief Fund, and they generously donated funds uh, from the event to us. And the whole the whole event was such an amazing turnout and success, and people showed up to support and contribute in every way, and it was it was a really beautiful thing. Also, one of the things I have to say with there's a lot of people experiencing what we would call survivor's guilt with the flood. There's a lot of people that weren't personally affected and they feel so guilty about it. But what I've been trying to tell people is don't use that energy for guilt. Use it for something that contributes in a different way. So there's a lot of people doing really creative fundraising of their own and then contributing, contributing those proceeds to the fund. There was a man named Greg who did this incredible bike race recently. He had a goal of raising $500. He raised over $2,000. Oh, wow. Thank you, Greg. He presented us with a check. And also in the process, one of our board members is Tom Lozon. Him and his wife, Karen, uh, decided to do this um, match contribution for this last month. And we have through this Thursday, they're going to donate up to $50,000 based on uh, the the proceeds that we get between... um, between the start of the month and and now. So when Greg presented us this check, Tom got to tell him we've actually doubled doubled the amount that you raised. So every there's a million different ways to whether it's donating yourself or uh lending a hand in Barry or just helping spread the word that I, I don't know how Bob Nelson, of course you know from Nelson Hardware, I ran into him yesterday uh we were at a store and I he just touched my heart. He called up WDEV at one point and said, help, I need help. All of his inventory was in the basement, mm-hmm. and he needed help with that mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had good for you, and he obviously got it. He said he's doing okay. Yeah, the volunteer yeah. outreach has been amazing. Yeah. Um, what's, what's also incredible about Bob is, oh. I mean, he's just the silent pillar of the community. He yes, helps he in so many ways, doesn't seek out any sort of attention or glory from it. Mm-hmm. So he got hit in a devastating way in that building. Uh, and they were open immediately after because mm-hmm. they knew they had to dig themselves out, but right. they also needed to support the community. Well, and the stuff they sell in the store is stuff people need exactly. to get to dig yeah. out. And he knew you know? that. He and yeah. his wife, they're amazing people. Yeah. yeah. What I'm, I struggle with um, is how one gets the restaurants and stuff back to being sterile. That is... I mean, does anybody come in and say it's okay to open? That's a long process. process. It must be. I can't imagine. Yeah, there's there's inspectors. There's people walking you through. um, And it's 
uh, it was really sensitive thing. So um, the building that I spend so much time in, Pearl Street Pizza, they got 300,000 gallons of water in the basement. Wow. We were very fortunate not to get any upstairs in um, Vermont's Lumi Air Market, any of those spaces. So we were able to open the door soon after. But it is um, the cleanup process is yeah, extraordinary. Staggering. And that's even in anybody's home, too. I mean, uh, mold yep. is my – I have a deep fear of mold. I've never experienced it. I've just read too much about, yeah. like, the silent yeah. – Killer, well, and Shannon was talking earlier about survivor guilt. I think with survivor guilt is also the flip side of the coin is these kinds of disasters um, sadly sometimes get quickly forgotten about. Yeah. And the need is still there. Right. And it's not going to just go away because there's other things happening in the news and people aren't thinking about it anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's really important for us to just keep uh, reminding people of that, you know, Thank you so much for the opportunity to be on the air and, no, even, no and talk about this in our yeah. fundraising efforts. I understand you've got a little something cooking on the State House lawn on September 9th. Do you want to talk about that event? We do. Yeah, actually, this is something that's pretty amazing uh, collaboration um, with the Berry Community Relief Fund and the Montpelier Strong Recovery Fund. Awesome. Yeah, so what it is, um, is it's a fundraiser on Saturday, September 9th. Um, from three to seven on the state house lawn, and it's it's going to be a musical fundraiser. Um, the lineup is uh, Cooey and Friends, Guagua, the Ray Vega Quintet, Dwight and Nicole, and the Dave Keller Band. Oh, awesome! Well, yeah. we know Dave, that's for sure. We're really excited about it. Um, it, um, tickets are available. They went online actually last night. Nice. You can you can go to the MontpelierStrong.org website or the Barry Community Relief. Dot org website. So, um, again, MontpelierStrong.org or BarryCommunityRelief.org. And right on those home pages are the ticket links. Great. Um, they're $35 a ticket, and kids six and under are free. And it's basically going to be four hours of amazing music awesome. on the lawn with food trucks and um Hope you saw the magic word for me. On. I love food trucks. <laughs> I do. It's like the, it's like the up-and-coming thing. Everybody goes to food trucks. I love it. I know. It's I cool. want a food truck. I do, too. It's <laughs> so cool. I thought about getting into the food truck business myself. Yeah. Uh, the goal is is to raise 50000 Um And all the funds that are going to be raised um, will be split Good. between Perfect. Montpelier Perfect. Strong yeah. and Barry Community yeah. Relief. Uh, the need is is huge everywhere, and this is just such a nice collaboration, um, really, with the city of Montpelier, the city of Barrie, Montpelier Alive, um, the Barrie Partnership, yep. the Barrie Community Relief Fund, the Montpelier Strong Fund. That's great. Um, Singularity Booking, Firefly Production. It's a lot of That's great. a lot of organizations. I am involved. very impressed with your organization with Montpelier Alive. Everybody turned on a dime, and. Instead of doing the things you normally do, you've become part of the the restoration. I mean, just like overnight, it's done. Uh, not the actual work, but it's everybody's got their mindset on helping. And that's one of the amazing things about Barry, and I think everyone all, always knows that uh, in in any sort of face of um, emergency or catastrophe, Barry has an amazing way of pulling together and collaborating and the, the beautiful solidarity that comes from it is something that right. I'm really hoping we can all hold on to. That's great. Mm-hmm. I saw an ad for the Barry Homecoming Days. Is that still going Heritage on? Heritage Festival. Heritage Festival. Are they? 
It oh, is. Oh, it's great. Thank on God. September 23rd. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. I have to get somebody on to talk about that because that's one of my favorite events. Tracy Lewis is your gal. Oh, Tracy. We know Tracy. Okay, good. Um, because that really brings everybody together. Yeah. yeah. It really does. Yeah. All yeah, the, the stuff the music is so needed and, right now. It really yeah. is. Yeah, you need that camaraderie and kumbaya stuff going on. So For that's sure. good. Um, I, uh, I had, um, uh, the Montpelier Alive, if I could only speak English, should be good. Uh, the Montpelier Live people, um, uh, with other people put together this, this group um to to talk about what needs to happen not to rebuild what is but to talk about what kind of changes might be better for Montpelier and I think that was a great have you hearing from your members what you think would be instead of rebuilding what was this is a great opportunity sadly to rebuild what should be well you know um I'm also a state representative and we're definitely uh working to um, see what we can do to make our communities and Barry in particular more resilient to these kinds of natural disasters. Right. 517 households were impacted in the city of Barry. That's an eighth of wow. the city's population. And those are, were homes, apartments and homes that were, um, apartments and houses, excuse me, that were either heavily damaged or are just simply need to be bought out and are unlivable. And may I just, this is mostly in the ABC, in in the streets that are sort of numbered and lettered. Yeah, the north end was particularly hard hit, though there are um, homes all around the city. It's four square miles uh, all around the city that were uh, rendered unlivable either due to the flooding or due to landslides. There, at one point, wow. there were 20 active landslides in the city. So the question is, do we rebuild in the floodplain? Do we, do we improve our homes in the floodplain or do we build up in the hills where, um, just down the street from me, somebody had to evacuate their home and they can't move back in? What was normally a tiny stream huh. was flowing so strongly that it undercut their foundations. So it's, oh. you know, we need to really focus on how we can make the state, uh, state funding more accessible, quicker to react and respond to these types of events that are just going to continue, um, partly due to climate change. Um, so, but I do have hope. I have hope for our city and for the state of Vermont that we, will come out of this stronger and more resilient. That's great. Thank you very much. And, and I'm sure you're going to be very busy this legislative session <laughs> dealing with, with this issue. You, you have, unfortunately, you've got to be. Yes. I mean, they need answers and yes, money. for sure. <laughs> These for discussions sure. are so important, and they're happening everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, what does the rebuild look like? You know, mm-hmm. what, what does the rebuild yeah. look like in Barrie? What does it look like in Montpelier? What does it look yeah. like in Ludlow? Like, we're, we're all, everywhere right. where this is. And, and what is, do you know what, what I, is the longer what term? What I saw watching the Zoom meeting? It makes people feel good mm-hmm. to talk about how they're feeling yeah. and to have people, more importantly, listen. Mm-hmm. And that event up at the college was, well, by 500 people, mm-hmm. 300 on Zoom and 200, in, or I got it mixed up, but somewhere around 500 people wanting to say what happened to them mm-hmm. and having somebody repeat back it's so that, important. that we're listening. It's yeah. so important in order to actually make change. Right. Um, I just wanted to mention again, and and maybe Jonathan, just to have you recap, um, you know, what people can do to donate to Barry Community Relief, where they can go, barrycommunityrelief.org, and, um, you know, what the process might look like for a resident in Barry Town or the city and for businesses as well. Sure, yeah. Um, Folks can apply if they go to barrycommunityrelief.org. 
Um, we're also planning on making paper copies available at key locations throughout the city and town. I think the library and city hall have been mentioned a couple of times. Um, it's a very simple application process, both for businesses and individuals. Those two applications are slightly different, um, but it's, it's no more than two pages. Um, if you're a business, you'll probably have, you will have to supply your W-9, but, um, and as much evidence of, uh, the flood impacts as you are able, but there's no, um, attachments required for individuals. Um, they can apply as individual homes. Households can apply as many times as they need. And, um, you know, we are, uh, reviewing and awarding applications based on the time that they are received and the amount of funding that is available. And again, if folks want to donate, it's that same website, berrycommunityrelief.org. You can also mail us a check. I forget the P.O. box, but... 464, Barry Vermont. 464, <laughs> Thank you, Barry Vermont. Um, it, you can make it out to the Barry Community Relief Fund. Um, and so it's really easy to both apply for funding and, if you're able, to donate funding. Uh, and, we're, again, we really appreciate any assistance that folks can provide. That's awesome. And you'll be uh, taking checks at the State House Lawn, I'm assuming. Yes, uh, don't forget there. about Saturday, September right. 9th, the Central Vermont Flood Relief Benefit mm-hmm. Concert. That's great. Um, from 3 to 7. If you go to berrycommunityrelief.org or montpelierstrong.org, you can okay. buy, you can buy tickets Excellent. there. Excellent. It'll, it'll get you directly That's there. That's great. Do you know what I'm pushing? I'm pushing that people need to go back to having go bags. And that includes businesses too. You're too young to know. But <laughs> I, when I was, we had go bags and it had all copies of our documents, had a change of clothes, had some food and water and it was, you kept it right near the bed and money and you kept it right near your bed in case something terrible happens. Mm. You have, you pick it up and you've got a little security for a few days as opposed to mm. where do I go? And they even, V-Dart has it for dogs. They have a list of what a go bag looked like for animals, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. They have one for snakes, which I didn't pay attention to. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that ain't happening. Anyway, um, thank you all for what you're doing. The the aerial shots of the damage is just staggering. Mm. Um, I don't think when you're in it, you don't realize how widespread this thing is. Mm-hmm. I, it's just. I think that's really important also to, I've had conversations with people where they walk down the streets of Barrie and they're like, oh, it looks so good here. Not. Don't let that fool you. There yeah. are people really suffering still. The businesses are still yeah. suffering. There's so many displaced residents that are, are still lacking resources. So uh, keep it fresh in your mind that even though everybody just wants to move on, people are not able to move on. Right. Right there now, there are help. people without homes and the yeah. snow's going to fly in Potentially a month. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. How many businesses have officially closed? Have you gotten any notices from them that they're... Um, officially, I, I don't know if there's been any official, official yeah, closures But a few. Um, there are sef- several who will not be reopening. Right. And, and also, on that note, there's a lot of businesses that are reopened now. The Cornerstone, yes, the Cornerstone really suffered, uh, and they are, they are open for business. Barry... Um, as people know, Barry has been on the rise for a while, and this, despite everything, is not slowing us down. So no. come down, downtown Barry, and support and and turn out. This is a rebuild of Barry, and it's hard to see past where we are right now. But this is just the beginning, and mm-hmm. you know, I think there's huge opportunity with what we're doing with this sure. fund and the fundraising, um, with grants that may be coming down the pike from the federal government. It, it's it's a long road, but it's a complete rebuild. Uh, I, 
I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see the light. That's great. A tiny little light maybe at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. We need some kind of slogan that, that hangs over Barry, something like there's still work to be done, <laughs> or something reminding people that when they come through, what you see is not the whole story. Yeah. You know, because, yeah. oh, that mud. I swear to God, it's like quicksand. I fell backwards. I, they gave me a pressure hose to use. And when I turned it on, I went, whoop! Very strong. It's very yeah. strong. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's very strong. Yeah. We're going to come back really strong. That's great. All right. I thank you all for coming on. I'm glad we could get you on and get remind people that there's still a lot of work to be done. Saturday, so, September 9th. Yeah, exactly. State we'll House see Long. you at the State House. All right. Thank, <laughs> thank you. This you. is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. And we'll be back for the next half hour with me. Think about that for a half hour. We're going to talk about something very important. Women's Equality Day. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. This last half hour of the show, I am going to dedicate to Women's Equality Day. It was August 26th, as it is every year, which was last Saturday. And because of everything that's going on with the flooding and the mud and all the stuff that's been happening, it didn't get quite the attention that I thought perhaps it should or that it has in the past. And as I'm gabbing, uh, I want to give a shout-out to the Commission on Women, uh, who helped me with some statistics, and also want to ask you to call in on 244 244- one seven 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 with your experiences and perhaps some women that uh, you would like to recognize here in Vermont. So um, Women's Equality Day, as I said, happened this last Saturday, August 26th, and it's separate from the International Women's Day in, that's held in March. Uh, this day celebrates strides uh, to commemorate uh, strides in furthering the equality of women everywhere. Um, the day was created to commemorate women getting the right to vote in America on August uh, 26, 1920. That was a long, that wasn't that long ago. God. Anyway, so while there have been many strides in equality in the last 83 years since women have gained the right to vote in this country, there are still work, there's still work that needs to be done. And part of that day acknowledges this fact and, uh, don't think we did much uh, acknowledging this year. Um, but I read a very interesting article about the ways we can commemorate and celebrate Women's Equality Day. For one thing, we can take the time to honor an important woman in our lives, such as by writing her a thoughtful letter or giving her a gift to show how much she means to us and inspires us. And I know this was last Saturday, but we can pretend that Women's Equality Day happens every day. And this would be a great time to single somebody out and tell them, thank you. We admire you. Thank you for the work you do. So if you have somebody in your life you'd like to shout out on radio, you can give me a call at 244-1777. You can also get involved uh, with a woman's cause you care about or take the time to educate others about the groundbreaking women of our past and present. Um, and finally, this one I like particularly, you can support women-owned businesses and uh, products by purchasing them. Get out, find those uh, 
uh, women-owned businesses and frequent them. I understand Stowe, we're on Stowe Street in Waterbury and we have the highest percentage of business, women business-owned businesses, uh, here on Stowe Street. It's a high percentage of, uh, women-owned businesses. And we also know, I was reading the names of women we all know, I'm sure Helen Keller, Amelia R. Earhart, and Rosa Parks. Um, and Vermont is one of the top five states in the country for women-owned businesses, averaging 1% uh, growth in the past decade, according to the Vermont Commission on Women. And as I said, I'm going to have uh, folks from the commission come on and uh, fill in whatever blanks I don't fill in. Um, and also this year, Brenda Bradley Bisbee um, helped found the Vermont Women's Fund, and she succeeded in bringing forward an amendment to the Vermont Constitution approved by the voters to revise its language to be gender neutral. Lots of stuff happening. Back in March 9th, 2016, if you'll remember, Peter Shumlin signed legislation making Vermont the fifth state to enact a statewide paid sick leave law, which is very critical to um, single moms um, when they have to take off for uh, their kids. Um, they have sick paid leave, which makes a lot of sense to me. We also, obviously, um, the state legislature crafted a law granting all of um, rights and privileges of marriage to same-sex couples. In 2000, we legalized civil unions, the most sweeping grants of rights to same-sex couples. And then in 2009, the Vermont legislature legalized same-sex marriage, making it the first legislature to do so. Um, we have um, a lot of statistics that uh, uh, that the Women's Commission gave me, and I'd like to go through some of them because they're um, a little staggering. We've got a little work to do in some areas. Um, pay equity, of course, is uh, uh, is something that everyone is interested in. Um, it's statistics note wages earned compared to white non-Hispanic men, which I'm going to read to you in a minute, um, that the number is not wage gap, uh, which would be different. For example, at the national level, the average woman earns 77 cents on the dollar compared to white non-Hispanic men and experienced a wage gap of 23 percent. So 77 cents on the dollar. Uh, nationally, as I just said, 77 cents on the dollar for all earners, 84 cents on the dollar for full-time year-round earners. Here in Vermont, here are the statistics that they provided for me. Women on average are 89.2 cents on the dollar for every earner. So we're doing a little better than the national average. Well, it's actually a lot better. It's 77 cents uh, nationally and 93.1 cents on the dollar for full-time year-round earners. Asian women are 69.4 cents on the dollar. Latinos, 62.6% uh, on the dollar. And um, we have what I love is because, you know, I was in the legislature for two terms. Um that uh, one-third of Vermont's congressional seat is now held by a woman. Uh, one-third of Vermont's statewide executive offices are held by women, which um, I was struggling with coming up with names the other day of, of women that I know in the executive office, um, primarily out of economic development, ACCD. Um, but I'm sure there are others um, who would come to mind. Uh, 45% of seats in Vermont's state legislature is uh, run by women. And I remember a couple of years ago, 
um, I don't remember exactly, but all the money committees, both in the House and the Senate, were chaired by women, which I thought was uh, quite interesting. That was amazing how that just sort of turned out. Um, and we should also talk a little bit about recent legislative changes, which we did mention a couple of things a minute ago. But um, there's expanded Vermont's equal pay protection to prohibit pay discrimination on the basis of race, national origin, sexual orientation, gender identity, and disability. That's a very important. If you're doing the work, you should get you should get the same pay. Uh, I'm very supportive of that. Uh, new legislation also prohibits agreements uh, for settling a claim of employment discri- discrimination from including a provision that prevents the employees from working for the employer or an affiliate of the employer in the future. Um, that one passed through and very interesting. Um, we also have a bill that eliminates the existing uh, um, severe or punitive legal standard which uh, court has interpreted to be an exceptionally high bar for complaints to demonstrate in both Vermont's Fair Employment Practice Act and Vermont's Fair Housing and Public Accommodation Act. So it was a very high bar to prove, and they uh, eliminated the existence of the severe and pervasive legal standard, um, which makes a lot of sense as well. So if you've got to, I've got some more to to talk about. Um, if you've got some stories you'd like to share about um uh, how you view Vermont and uh, whether, in fact, you believe we have equality here in Vermont and where maybe some places need a little shoring up. The number is 244-1777. Come on and join the conversation. So back to the legislature. Um, uh, it provides that except when an employee is alleging pay discrimination or dis- a desperate impact discrimination, the employee is not required to identify another employee to whom the employee's treatment can be compared for purposes of showing that unlawful discrimination occurred. In, in other words, if I'm being discriminated against, I don't have to say, well, and, and my neighbor Sue Jones is being equally discriminated against, so it proves a pattern. You just have to say you're being discriminated on. Um, there's also legislation that defines and provides statutory direction on the interpretation of the term harass in both the Vermont Fair Employment Practices and Vermont Fair Housing. What does the term harass or harassment mean? And that's um, also a, suggest- a suggestive sort of word. I just remembered for a second, I'm going to switch hats. I was asked uh, after the break to give somebody who called in the website for um, – the um, for the community relief fund that we were just talking about with the Barry Economic Development Committee. So if you'll bear with me, that email is www.barrycommunityrelief.org, all one word, all lowercase, www.barrycommunityrelief.org, and you can find out about the grant and about the fund itself and how to apply and about the September 9th event on the State House lawn. Sorry, I didn't do that in the beginning of the show. Kind of forgot. Um, and there's um, so much work to be done here uh, in this area that um, I think there are some some areas of work that um, don't seem to get uh, the number of women that that should be in those areas of engineering. Um, just a lot of areas that lend itself more towards um, hiring men and 
they really should um, open up hiring for everyone. And um, and maybe we need to encourage to all of the STEM, the mathematics, uh, science. There doesn't seem to be that many women working in those areas, and we should encourage uh, women to study STEM. Um, STEM college uh, courses and um, to apply for jobs in those STEM uh, uh, research areas, which uh, we focus on a lot. And we need workers in those areas here in Vermont um, quite a bit. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Thought I'd talk this last half hour or last uh, 10 minutes now um, about uh, Women's Equity Day, which, which, uh, we celebrate every year on August 26th. It was last Saturday. But with all the stuff going on in Vermont and uh, not much attention, I don't think, was paid to that day. And it's an important day because it gives us the opportunity to look at the progress we've made, but also identify those areas that need um, a little attention or, in some cases, a lot of attention. Here's some interesting statistics. Uh, the poverty rate for male single householders without children is 3.5%. For women, the rate is nearly four times that at 11.4%. When you add minor children to the household, families led by single men have a poverty rate of 160 Families led by single women are more than twice as likely to live in poverty at 36.7. The poverty rate for women of color are higher than the rate for white women at 12.3%. The poverty rate for Hispanic and Latino women is 17.6, Asian women 14.3, and for black women 26.9. of women with a disability live in poverty more than twice the poverty rate for women without a disability, which is 8.4%. Pretty sad numbers, actually. Um, while we've made a lot of progress, uh, Vermont women still earn less than Vermont men, and black and brown Vermonters earn less than their white counterparts. And in order to to deal with the um, Pay Act disparity, we've got to address uh, the disparity of... Um, of how much people are paid, and we need to just focus on that and do the same work, get the same pay. It's not hard. Um, and I think that uh, Vermonters still, although we've made a lot of progress, Vermont women will continue to be underrepresented in positions of leadership, um, and I think we need to focus on that as well. Uh, this is These are scary statistics coming up. Nearly half of Vermont homicides are linked to domestic violence with interpersonal violence and impacting the lives of thousands. Domestic violence is such a topic because a lot of times it's done behind closed doors and you don't even know what's happening because there's a lot of shame involved in it when in fact there should be support and help made available. Domestic violence takes an incredible toll on the estimated 40,000 victims who experience it annually in Vermont, as well as their family. It also has a staggering economic impact on Vermont. This is staggering. The public cost of sexual and domestic violence in Vermont totals over $111 million per year. The per capita cost of domestic and sexual violence to each Vermonter is $177.67 annually, and approximately $2,655 per victim in Vermont. 
We estimate that each year there are more than 40,000 victims of domestic or sexual violence in Vermont through research indicates that most survivors do not report uh, uh, their abuse, as I just mentioned. Um, It is a a staggering um, statistic and one that absolutely needs to be addressed. I think I've mentioned on the show one time I went, I think it was in New Hampshire, and each of the stalls um, from the women's room had uh, uh, business cards available that a woman could stick right in her purse that gave them the numbers of who to call if you're dealing with um, uh, domestic violence at home. And I always thought that was a great way to get information to women. Um, and I always wish that, uh, I don't know if we do similar things here, but it's something we should think about to how to get that information and to keep still keep the woman safe. Uh, we've made a lot of gains um, to break in the old glass ceiling in Congress, as I mentioned before. Our state legislature and local governments, I've served on the select board in my town for over over the years uh, several times, and I know there are a lot of people who um, are invested in their school boards and uh, select boards in town, and um, a lot of women uh, participate in those entities, and, and as they should, because that's really, when you work locally, that's hitting home, and um, it's good. And, of course, if you look nationally, we have... Uh, our vice president is the first female vice president and first African-American and Asian-American vice president. Um, she has those backgrounds, um, and that's um, that's something to look to and be proud of. Um, educationally, the education statistics indicate that women outnumber men in college completion so that they're more uh, likely to finish college and go on to get a job. Um, but in education, women are still underrepresented in certain fields, as we talked about before, which they call the STEM um, businesses, science, technology, engineering, and math. And I don't know why that is. Um, maybe we don't promote it ourselves and we should encourage women to go to those um, to those businesses because that's where the jobs are. The high, the good paying jobs are in those STEM areas. I also think, and we've done a lot here in Vermont, that to help women to balance the work-life imbalance, when you're balancing work and you're a caregiver responsibilities at home, which disproportionately, I think, falls on women, that paid family leave is important, which we did. Affordable child care and the flexible work arrangements can help address these issues. Um, I think we're working on affordable uh, child care, that's for sure, and looking at how better to work or have our workday um, so that we can attract more women into the workplace. And lastly, this list I was looking at, it's got health care and reproductive rights. I certainly think we have made a giant step uh, with regard to reproductive rights uh, legislatively here in Vermont, but I'm, I'm not so sure about health care, and um, um, I would like to see that available to all women and not to have any kind of um, problem in that area for getting women the health care needs that they need. I only have a few minutes left and I wanted to share with you. I found this article. It was on uh, it was uh, about Women's Equality Day. And I read an amazing story about Captain Rhea McFarlane, who became the first black female C-17 pilot to receive the Distinguished Flying Cross in 2022 for her leadership in Afghanistan. Go Navy. 
the Distinguished Flying Cross is the Air Force, an Air Force's highest honor awarded for acts of heroism or extraordinary achievement during aerial operations. So good for the Air Force because they are really pushing, um, pushing that. And, and, and the 2022 Super Bowl, did you notice this? Seven women from the U.S. Navy made history when they conducted the first all-female uh, flyover at the game. Uh, and na- the Navy began teaching women to fly in 1973. So here's to years of women flying in the Navy. And uh, thanks to um, the military for stepping up. I think it's uh, really great. Um, but if you have... Um, any concerns? You've got the Women's Commission on uh, the Vermont Commission on Women, and um, they will be on the show. I'm going to try to get them on in a couple of weeks um, to talk much more about the progress that uh, women have made here in Vermont. And that uh, um, it's interesting to look back, and that there's a lot of statistics from uh, 2015, um, and to see where things were back then, and. Um, Back in 2015, I found a statistic that said women are not expected to achieve equal pay until 2048 based on current trends. And that was back in 2015. And I sincerely hope, and I will find out from the League of Cities and Downs, uh, excuse me, about the women's uh, equity group here, um, that that statistic has changed a lot um, because we certainly would like to see equal pay. I will have them on soon. Uh, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint. Thanks to the Commission on Women for all their help for this show. And we will see you Thursday. <laughs>